You're listening to the Vineyard Milwaukee podcast. For more information about Vineyard Milwaukee Church, visit vineyardmilwaukee.com. Now here's this week's message. Isaiah 55. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not and nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. For he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteousness of their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seeds for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper, and instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. Do you feel weary? Poor, thirsty, depressed, hopeless. We're nearing a year since this pandemic started here in America. And I know for so many of us, we're just feeling like this was a year of survival. A year where all you really could do was persevere. That the call on our lives was just to persevere. And in the process of hanging on to our our life wrath, it it often seemed that there was more death, there was more destruction than life. There have been losses of school years, losses of uh, graduation ceremonies and and wedding experiences and um, the death of businesses and homes and loss of friendships and families over over the political polarization in our country and Of course, the devastation of actual human deaths. And maybe you feel hopeless, like a lot of us, about the state of the church in America, who seems as divided and uh, compromised as the country does. But in the midst of grieving so many losses and so many disappointments, God may be inviting us into something new. God is always inviting us to continue to hope. 
And so I, my question for you today is what if in the wake of all this despair and all this loss and all of this hostility, what if God is actually doing a new thing? What if God has been pruning his bride in the, in the midst of all of this and he's inviting us as followers of Jesus, as the church of Jesus Christ, to return to our first love? What if on the other side of just surviving and just persevering, as Isaiah prophesied, we will go out with joy and be led forth in peace? We're heading into spring. I know that it may not feel that way as uh, like 70% of the country is under snow right now, but we are actually heading towards spring and um, people are getting vaccinated. My husband's been vaccinated. Um, myself and my oldest son are soon to be vaccinated. And there seems to be a glimmer um, of light at the end of this pandemic tunnel. And, you know, when we think about spring, spring is a time where seeds germinate. That there's been hidden work that's been taking place under the soil, even under the snow, where we can't see and I just wonder what might be the hidden work of God in this season and, and what has been the hidden work of God over this last year and how might he be inviting us to participate with him and join him in the work that he's doing. We've been meeting with a leader, as a leadership team, we've been discussing how we may safely reopen the church and begin to experience some in-person gatherings and worship together. And the question that we've been discussing and the question that I want to bring forward to you today is what will our church community look like in the future? Or how might God be inviting our church community to look in the future? Because the truth is, uh, the landscape in America has been changing for some time now. Um, it wasn't just over the course of this pandemic, but the pandemic certainly sped up the process of the cultural shifts that were already taking place. And actually, the pandemic revealed rather than created what has all was already there. You know, we've been moving some time toward this increasingly secular cultural shifts, and we're experiencing all kinds of compromise within the church on both the left and the right. We live in this increasingly hyper-individualistic society where loneliness is now considered by sociologists and psychologists to be the greatest epidemic of our time. Most relationships in our country are what we would call transactional, They're, which is the very thing that hollows out true community. Um, like in the Tinder hookup culture where true intimacy can only be achieved uh, in the safety of commitment. And so this is just rather transactional experience to get your personal needs met rather than to experience true intimacy. And the truth is that you can have either autonomy or you can have intimacy, but you can't have both. And we live in this age of idolatrous ideology. All you have to do is jump on social media to see the number of ideologies that are been developed and are springing up all over the place on both the left and the right. And these ideas that were once just considered theory are now for many becoming like a religion. They're becoming like pseudo gods for people. And it's creating this tribal mentality where ideologies have turned, become these people's idols. And sadly, many followers of Jesus are being drawn away by these ideologies, again, on the left and the right. And the truth is, ideologies, no matter how noble they may seem, they are 
ultimately just an attempt to usher in the kingdom of God here on earth without God. So we want to experience the kingdom on earth without submitting to the king. And we live in a state of increasing moral relativism, which says, be true to yourself as long as you don't harm anybody. The problem is that that just doesn't work in a pluralistic uh, society, in a culture, because what we consider harm depends on agreed upon definition of good and evil. And so currently there is one moral vision at war with dozens of other moral visions. We also live in the digital revolution. Um, you might have heard me quote before Ronald Rollheiser, who's famously known for saying, we are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. And he said that years ago when the digital revolution began. But what's even worse now is that things have escalated into something far beyond just distraction in the past year. The lack of our interpersonal connection coupled with the political climate that we were in, largely due to social media. Sociologists say we are more divided as a country now than we've been since the Civil War. So people are forming these virtual communities around rather than what we are for or what we might have in common, but rather what we are commonly against, a shared enemy. And so it's creating this tribal culture um, against another said group. And so this tribal culture combined with the cancel culture, what it's done to our minds is we begin to just quickly sort people into categories um, into our various enemies, to our very en various enemy categories. And this is happening again on both sides of the aisle. You may think that the hostility is coming primarily from the other side of your particular leaning, but it truly goes both ways. Uh, Barry Weiss, you might be familiar with her. She was a former writer for the New York Times. She recently resigned from the New York Times and posted um, an open letter of resignation, which I would highly recommend just jumping online, easy to find, reading through it, which just points to this, this hostility um, on both sides of the aisle. And in her case, she would consider herself like a centrist, somebody who is really open to dialogue and looking at the nuances of various issues. Um, and she said in her article, showing up for work as a centrist at an American newspaper should not require bravery. Here's the truth, my friends. You and I and people in our culture are not looking for an echo of the culture. They're seeking an alternative to it. And we, Vineyard Milwaukee, as a family who is formed by our singular allegiance to Jesus Christ, are meant to be that alternative. We are called to be a countercultural community that is marked by hope. And so this could actually be our finest moment. Rather than sinking down in dis to despair about all that's been revealed and, and all of the divisions and all the junk that's come up over this past year, this could be rather than our death, this could be our rebirth. What if we could move from a place of anxiety to possibility? The truth is, uh, historically, the church is often at its best when Cultural hostility is at its worst. It makes the church smaller but stronger. 
It makes the committed even more committed, and sadly, it makes the nominal often walk away. Listen, if we're followers of Jesus and our allegiance is to the kingdom of God, not an allegiance to the nation state of America, and our allegiance is to the multi-ethnic family of God, not to our own personal tribe. So how do we live and love in the way of Jesus when we are caught in the middle of a a cultural civil war that is a winner takes all? Ultimately, we need three things to become the future church. Number one, we need a radical recommitment to Jesus. We have to give up these foolish attempts to become a progressive Christian or conservative Christian or uh, an American Christian. Any adjective you want to put before follower of Jesus needs to go. We need to come home to our first love. We need a fresh wave of surrender to Jesus as Lord. And number two, we need a radical recommitment to Jesus as the way. Not just the way to die, but the way to live the way to be human. We need to craft a way of life together that will cause us to flourish and thrive in the corrosive soil of the midst of growing secularism. The old ways of doing life when you just kind of come to church when it's convenient and kind of halfway in community until it gets uncomfortable or your idea of, you know, reading through scriptures is just catching an inspirational Bible verse on Instagram once in a while, these ways are just not going to cut it as we move forward in the way the world is right now. We need more. We need to band together in loving, authentic relationships while we support each other in practices that will set us up to deepen our commitment and flourish in the midst of hostility in an ever-changing landscape. And finally, we need a sweeping renewal of the Holy Spirit. We need a fresh outpouring of the love and power of the Holy Spirit to empower us to live lives that are fully surrendered so that the church can truly be the light and the hope for the city that we are called to be. So what steps do we take? What steps can we begin to take forward to come back stronger, to to move toward being a people of hope? to move toward renewal within our church. One of my favorite analogies that Jesus uses to describe a life that is deeply connected to him through the Holy Spirit is one of a grapevine. He says in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So we know that all the goods come from him, all the love, all the power, all the life source comes from him, and it flows from from him, him being the vine. But if you know anything about growing grapes, uh, the vine and the branches need like either a trellis or a stake or an arbor to kind of grow around. And so it keeps it steady and enables it to thrive. So they need some kind of structure to kind of grow grow around. And so over the next weeks, as we head toward Easter, we want to offer you a set of practices, each one intending to enable us to resist the cultural pull towards some of these challenges that I just talked about. And these practices, once fully formed in us, will act as kind of a trellis to support and guide us as we receive life from the vine. 
Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, the renewal of the church will come from a new type of monasticism, which only has in common with the old and uncompromising allegiance to the Sermon on the Mount. It is high time people banded together to do this. And so we want to band together to enter into this, what he described as new type of monasticism. What does he mean by that? Well, it means that rather than all of us quitting our jobs and homeschooling our kids and moving out into the middle of nowhere and kind of just spending all of our days, you know, wandering in the woods, praying and um, submitting to these various practices, but rather to take all of those beautiful um, practices from our mothers and forefathers in the faith that developed them, that, that were developed, um, you know, in this form of this monastic way, um, and adopt them into our current life, into the life of people who work and live and raise their kids in the city and in regular life. And so what does that look like? How do we uh, develop these practices in a way that are realistic for the lives that we lead? Well, for one thing, we do this in community. We've talked about in Christ with community for the city. So we, we work together at developing these practices and making them a way of life for us. Um, this is a rhythm for how to live. This is known in monastic language as a rule of life. And so in the weeks ahead, we're going to be focusing on just one practice each week that as a community will empower us to resist the pool of the culture and index us toward the kingdom. And so we will explore in the weeks ahead, um, as we have been exploring that community as a practice uh, to withstand a culture of individualism. We'll look at the practice of scripture in a culture of ideological idolatry. We'll look at the practice of prayer and fasting in a culture of moral relativism. The practice of silence and solitude in a culture of fear and anxiety. The practice of hospitality in a culture of political polarization. Look at the practice of Sabbath in a culture of exhaustion and burnout. The practice of vocation and a culture of careerism, and the practice of simplicity and generosity for the purpose of justice in a culture of social Darwinism. As I said, this sermon series titled In Christ with Community for the City, the church is meant to be the hope of the world. We're meant to be salt and light. We're, we're meant to be bringers of good news. And what we offer the world is ultimately ourselves. We offer an alternative community, a different way of living. And we want to invite you into this journey with us. This kind of hope cannot be found anywhere else. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest fare.